Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new, joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You can also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you with us. I also want to welcome in all of those in Prescott Valley today. We're so grateful you are worshiping with us this morning. And if you're a newcomer with us, we're so glad that you are here. Uh, we are in the middle of a series where we're walking through the book of the Bible called Romans. And so one of the pieces of that is we're each month we have a little packet full of uh, uh, some content that goes along with the sermon series. So for those of you who have been tracking along with that, if you want that content, haven't gotten it yet, just go ahead and throw your hand in the air and one of our ushers will bring it to you. You got to really throw it up there. See that? There you go. And just hold it up there a second. Somebody will drop it by for you, and you can stick it in your notebook uh, this morning. Uh, so again, if you're a newcomer with us, I always encourage, again, we're in chapter 10 today, so there, we've come a long way. We still got a long ways to go, and you can always go catch up on our website or on YouTube, uh, and you'll always get more out of it if you have the context of the whole thing, not just little bits and pieces of it. Well, today, we're going to do as we've done throughout this series. We made a... a um, pledge to read the whole book of Romans out loud throughout this series. And so we're going to continue that today as we read our text from chapter 10. We're going to read from chapter, verse 5 through 13. So if you've got your Bible or you've got your uh, notebook there, it's in there. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we proclaim the word of God together today. So again, Romans chapter 10, Starting in verse 5, we'll go through verse 13, and this is the word of the Lord. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. It is, if your mouth you declare Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. 
And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this promise, and I pray that you would bring it to fruition today, that all who call on you will experience your salvation even in our midst today. Thank you for your word, and it's through Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So, again, these all connect together. So, Pastor Josh left off last week. He introduced this to this expectation that that God expects his people to be righteous, like, like, like perfect righteous, like righteous in that we are morally upright, righteous meaning that we are without sin. That is the expectation of God. Now, when most of us think about righteousness, we have a tendency to compare our righteousness with other people, mostly people who aren't as good as we are right? That's what we do. I'm like, nobody's judging their righteousness next to Mother Teresa. Like, you never go up the scale. You always go down the scale. You always like, well, Jeffrey Dahmer was bad, and I'm better than that guy, right? And so we, but here's the thing about it. that kind of righteousness makes us feel good, but it actually doesn't do you any good, because that, because people aren't the standard. The standard of righteousness that we are required to have is perfect, sinless righteousness, which means that if you have any self-awareness at all today, then you might recognize the fact that you're in trouble. Like, you're in trouble. And you know why you're in trouble? Because of you. Because you're not righteous. Like, we buy into this idea, and we tell ourselves, well, I'm a good person. I just want to make sure, if nobody's told you today, I just want to make sure you hear it. You aren't good enough, okay? You're not good enough. You aren't righteous enough. You haven't loved enough. You haven't forgiven enough. You have lied. You have cheated. You have stolen. You've dishonored your parents. You've dishonored God. You've been filled with lust and greed and bitterness. You're often selfish and judgmental and angry and apathetic, and you're lazy and prideful, and you think you're always right. And it's only 11. <laughs> like, like, here's the thing. Like, <laughs> for many of us, like, even when we do the good thing, we do the good thing with bad motives. We do it to feed our own ego. Even our, even our good stuff is tainted. For many of us, the only thing worse than our unrighteousness is our self-righteousness. That's the bad news, okay? But here's the good news. And this is the good news that Pastor Josh left us all off with last week. That there is a perfect righteousness that is available that comes from a perfect adherence to the law, just not by us. Here's where we left off last week. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. 
Christ is the culmination, the finish, the completion of the law so that, he did that, so that there may be a righteousness for everyone who believes. This is the good news, that Jesus obeyed the law, all of it. He did it perfectly. He did it because we couldn't. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, when we are clothed with Christ, his perfect sinless righteousness gets applied to my account. That's what God sees when he looks at me. It is if I have never sinned. Because when he looks at me, he sees his son, Jesus. That's the good news. Now, again, just to put this whole thing in context, we're in the middle of Romans and we're in this section between chapters 9 and chapter 11 where we hear this great news and there's this, there's this one issue, though, that the, the Jewish people, the chosen people of God, the ones who should have known about the Christ, the Messiah, his fulfilling of righteousness, this righteousness that's available to these people who should have gotten it more than anybody have missed it. And so Paul, in this section between chapters 9 and 11, is trying to help us put that into context. Why is it that they've missed it? And so we're, we're, he's answering that question today. And he's, and he's going to try to help us to understand that, that the reason that they missed it is because they tried to get it on their own. What he said last week, what Pastor Josh shared with us, is that they stumbled over Jesus. That they stumbled. They missed it because they were hell-bent on establishing a righteousness of their own. And you just need to know, those are your only two options. You're going to either get to get the righteousness on your own, or you're going to get it from Jesus, but you don't get both. So if you're trying to get it on your own, you're going to fall short. And they stumbled over this idea that Jesus, the Messiah, would get credit for their law-keeping. They wanted to earn it on their own. They couldn't bring themselves to think that faith in Jesus was enough. So in our text this morning, where we started in chapter 5, in our text, Paul is going to make the case that righteousness by faith in Jesus was God's plan all along. It was never about keeping law. It was always about Jesus. And he's going to make this case to God's people, these people who are trying to earn their righteousness on their own, and he's going to make it by going back to the Old Testament, to their scriptures, to the Jewish scriptures, and showing them from the Old Testament that God's plan all along was a righteousness by faith that comes from Jesus. It was never intended that you were going to try to get to the righteousness on your own. So everything that we're going to look at today is Paul arguing for the truthfulness of this statement. That Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He wants us to get this and believe this, and he's going to show us in the Old Testament how this is true over and over and over again. So we're going to keep coming back to verse 4 today because this truth is what he's trying to make sure that we don't miss. And here's how he begins. So talking about righteousness, and, and Paul begins to talk about righteousness by quoting from the lawgiver himself, Moses. Paul says, Moses writes about this about the righteousness that is by the law, a righteousness that you earn, a righteousness that you get because of your own goodness. 
Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law, and here's what Moses wrote. The person who does these things will live by them. In other words, if you are trying to get your righteousness all by yourself, if you're going to try to obey your way into the kingdom of God, here's what Moses and Paul reminds us what Moses said. If you want a righteousness that comes from the law, then you have to live by the law. Like all of it. Yeah, all of it. Like perfectly all of it. Like there are, there are a lot of people in the world who believe that they don't need Jesus. And I think Moses and Paul would agree. You don't need Jesus as long as you never sin. If you can pull that off, then you don't need Jesus. As long as you can live up to every expectation of the law without fault, as long as you can perfectly obey God every time, all the time, then you are good to go all on your own. You are, by definition, righteous if you've never sinned. The only problem with that, there's only one problem. What's, what's the problem? You are, that's the problem, because we all sin right? Paul's already told us there is no one righteous, not even one. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You sin. There's a perfect requirement, a perfect righteousness requirement, but it's not something that you can obtain on your own, which is why God in his graciousness gave us another option. An option, again, that Moses himself points to. Now, again, I need to pause for just a second since the energy's gone down just a little bit in the room. So we're, gonna, we're going into some deep waters here, all right? So he's going to make a fairly complex um, argument to help us believe verse 4. And I need you with me. So take a deep breath. If you need to stand up, stretch out, get, get some blood pumping, whatever you need to do, I need you to hang with me here for a second to follow along. I'm going to do my best to help you see Paul's train of thought. Again, Paul is going to use the Old Testament, these Jewish texts, to argue for Jewish people that the righteousness that is required by God, it's a righteousness that's available to everyone because Christ is the culmination of the law. Okay? So, here we go. Why is it available? Because Christ is the culmination. Keep coming back to this. It's the culmination of the law so that there may be a righteousness for everyone who believes. He's going to argue for this truth. He's going to use Old Testament text to help us do it. Now, he's going to use primarily a text out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Okay, If you've got your Bible open, you'll notice in the next several verses or maybe even in your booklet, there's a lot of quotation marks in the next few verses because he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Before we hear Paul teaching from Deuteronomy 30, I want you to see Deuteronomy 30 for yourself. So we're going to look at what Deuteronomy 30 says, and then we're going to listen to Paul teach Deuteronomy 30. So if you're a Bible person, you can stick your finger there in Romans 10 and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Let me give you the context. Moses has just given the law to the people of Israel. Mount Sinai, it's all come down, and Moses has shared the law with all of the people, like all of them. And they're all standing there wide-eyed thinking, oh my gosh, that's a lot of laws. And at the end of the day, Moses decides these people need a pep talk. Because sometimes when you preach hard things, people just need to be encouraged. So at the end of the day, he gives them all of the law, and then he gives them a pep talk. And here's his pep talk after giving all of the law. Here's what he says. Deuteronomy 30. 
Moses says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and to proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, nor is it beyond the sea so that you would have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, no, no. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you may obey it. So picture this scene. Moses gives all of the law, all the things that God expects of his people. And at the end of the day, they're all like, and Moses says, okay, hey guys, you can do this. This is not too difficult for you. You got it. Like this is not hard. It's not like you got to go up to heaven and go figure out what God wants and bring it down, have somebody tell it to you so that you can obey it. No, no, no. It's not like he hid it somewhere across the sea somewhere that you got to go find it and dig it up and bring it back and somebody read it and proclaim it so that you can. No, no, no. It is right here. He's given it to you and you can do it. Yay! That's how Moses ends this part about the command. Hey, there's a righteousness that comes through obeying the law, and you can do it. It's not too difficult for you. That's what he says. He's put it, the word, right there in front of you. Now, that is, that's Deuteronomy 30. Now, Paul's going to take this text from Deuteronomy 30, and he's going to use it in Romans chapter 10. And he's going to use it not to proclaim the law, but he's going to use this text about Moses proclaiming the law so people obey. He's going to use this text to actually teach about a righteousness that comes by faith. It's like, wait, that doesn't seem to fit. This, he's going to use this text about obeying the law to teach about the righteousness that is by faith in Christ. So now that you've seen this text in Deuteronomy 30, let's see how Paul gets us to a place of righteousness by faith from using this text. Back to Romans 10, verse 6. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Again, just quoted Deuteronomy 30. And then he adds this parenthetical note. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? Parenthetical note, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. Don't, don't miss this. This is so cool. At least for us Bible nerds. How many, got any Bible nerds in here today? Got four. <laughs> really hope there would be more. We should have more. Paul takes this text that was originally about, about God bringing the law and he uses it to talk about Jesus. The original said, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven to bring the law down and proclaim it so that we can obey it. What Paul does is essentially he takes Deuteronomy 30 and he scratches out the part that talks about the law and in its place he puts Jesus. He says, instead of bringing the law down, it says, well, who, who's going to ascend the heaven to bring the law down? He said, that's not what he's actually talking about. Actually, he's talking about who's going to bring Christ down. 
Or who's going to descend into the deep? Who's going to go across the sea and go get the law and bring it back and proclaim it so that we can obey it? He says, nah, scratch that out. He's not actually talking about the law. He's talking about Jesus. Who's going to go get Jesus? And he says, you don't have to. Why? Because what does it say? The word whose name is Jesus is near you. He's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. The original Deuteronomy 30 was all about the law coming down. And Paul uses the same text to talk about Jesus coming down. Instead of the law coming up, it's Jesus coming up. So how is it that Paul can just scratch out the part about the law and replace it with Jesus? How does does he do that? Verse 4, because Christ is the culmination of the law. Because Christ fulfilled the law. Because Christ came down and obeyed the law. He made all of the righteousness of the law available to us by obeying it himself. He replaced, he fulfilled the law. Which is why Paul can say, it's not about the law, it's about Jesus. That we don't have to obey it because Jesus obeyed it. It's not about us perfect, being perfect because he was perfect. The righteousness Moses was pointing to in the law was fulfilled in Christ. And you don't have to go searching for for Christ. You don't have to go up into heaven and try to get him and bring him down. He came down himself. And you don't have to dig down in the earth to get him to come up. He's already been raised. We don't have to do that because God, just as he brought down the law on Mount Sinai and gave it to his people, God sent his son Jesus to fulfill the very law that we could never fulfill. This word, this word whose name is Jesus, he is very near to you. It's in your grasp, knocking on your heart. It's available. He's available for everyone who believes. That perfect righteousness that you need and I need is within your grasp today. So how do we take advantage of that? How do we respond to this righteousness? How do we get a hold of it for ourselves? Here's what he says. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So how do we get this righteousness applied to us? There's two parts to it. There's an internal part and an external part. There's something that happens on the inside that shows up on the outside. So let's first talk about the internal part. It's there in verse 10. He says, first thing you got to do is you got to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. This is about believing the gospel that God sent his son, that he lived a sinless life, that he died in our place for our sin, that he was buried, and that we, he was raised up, ascended into heaven, and it's come back to take his rightful place as king of kings and lord of lords. He says, first, you got to believe that. Like, truly, believe that in your heart, like on the inside of you. But you got to believe that. And he says, that, that belief, if that thing is going on inside of you, if you have that as an anchor of your faith on the inside, then it, that will produce a declaration on the outside that you will declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. 
that faith on the inside will, will come out as a declaration on the outside that Jesus is Lord. Now, I need to make sure that you don't mishear me today. I didn't say that you're going to declare that Jesus exists, that you believe Jesus exists. That's not what the declaration is. It's not a declaration that Jesus is even God. Satan will declare that Jesus is God. It's not a declaration that Jesus is your Savior. It's not even a declaration that Jesus is a good prophet or teacher. It is a declaration that Jesus is Lord. In other words, it is a declaration of submission, obedience, and allegiance. That's what it means to have somebody as your Lord. Is you submit to them, you obey them, and you pledge your allegiance to them. Calling Jesus Lord means you recognize that you're not on the same level on the org chart. Right? You know what an org chart is, right? An org chart helps you to know who the boss is and who the peons are. Okay? And you, just in case you didn't know, you're on the peon line. Jesus is, Lord means that he is above you. When you have someone who is your Lord, the conversation is never, here's what I want you to do for me. No, no, no. If Jesus is your Lord, the conversation is always, what do you want me to do for you? That's the way it looks when the peons address the person on the top of the org chart. Way too many people who call themselves Christians believe that Jesus is here to serve them, not the other way around. And then they get upset when Jesus doesn't do what they want or give them what they want. And they treat Jesus as if he owes them something instead of the other way around. Where they look at Jesus as if he's a magic genie in a bottle and they'll say the right things and rub the, rub the, 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 the bottle and all of a sudden... Jesus comes out and he's supposed to do what I want. And if he doesn't, I get mad. But when people have a true understanding of who Jesus is, when they have the gospel alive in their heart through faith, then it causes an external declaration that Jesus is Lord. He is my Lord. And, And here's the thing. You... You don't get to pick one of these. Like one of these by themselves is useless. An external declaration without internal faith is pointless. And so is internal faith without an external declaration. Hear this today. Confession without faith will not save you. And we know this because Jesus gave a warning. He said at the day of judgment, there will be some who come and they will say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will answer them. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? Like this external declaration that Jesus is Lord without an internal heart that's transformed, that surrenders and believes. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? Away from me, I never knew you. You 
if you have just the confession, it does nothing. I mean, like, literally, you can cause a computer to say, Jesus is Lord. Like I did it last night. I made my computer read out, Jesus is Lord. You can make a computer say it. Does that mean it's my computer saved? No. No. Funny thing is, though, I couldn't get Siri to say Jesus is Lord. (laughs) I think we all knew Siri was evil to begin with. (sighs) For sure, Siri will not say Jesus is Lord. So if you can try to figure out how to make Siri say that, that's your challenge. You can text it to me later. But just saying the words Jesus is Lord without an internal belief, it does nothing for you. Putting the right syllables in the right words is not like, it doesn't have magical incantation powers. It's not as if you get to live in rebellion your whole life to God and and have no faith whatsoever and you see destruction coming and at the last second you say, Jesus is Lord. And God's like, oh, so close. (laughs) You got it right under the wire there. I know you don't actually believe it, but you put the right words in the right order, so now my hands are tied, guess you're coming in. We know that's dumb, right? It's not a magical cantation. It's not how it works. And conversely, to say you believe inwardly without that confession, it's in vain. In fact, Jesus once put it this way. He says, whoever acknowledges me before others, in other words, makes the declaration out loud, acknowledges me with their life, shows off that I'm their Lord. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. If you just have, I just just have this inward belief and I don't share it with anybody. I don't put it out there. Nobody knows it. Nobody sees it. It's just this internal thing. I don't acknowledge it before other people. It's just my own private thing. Then Jesus says, there's going to be a day when you stand before him. And because you refuse to acknowledge him, to make that declaration into the world that Jesus is my Lord, that you're going to say when you stand before him, hey, I'm with him. And Jesus is going to say, no, you're not. If you can't acknowledge me before others, I will disown you before my Father. Like to say we have some kind of internal belief thing that does not manifest itself out that others could acknowledge it, Jesus says that ain't going to work. We don't get to pick one of these. We have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he rose from the dead for our sake, and we have to declare it through submission and obedience. Your inward belief in the resurrection of Jesus and your outward confession is Jesus is Lord have to go hand in hand. Once we get that piece of it settled, And Paul wants to remind us of the truth of verse 4 again. That this righteousness that is required for all of us is available to all who believe. And so he tells it to us three more times in different ways. As scripture says. So he's again trying to make the claim. This is how it's always supposed to be. 
anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and will richly bless all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Like everyone. Everyone is included. All is included. Anyone can participate, which means you can participate. Like it's available for everyone who believes, who responds in faith. Here's what I want you to walk away remembering today. Christ is easily accessible. You don't have to go up into heaven and try to find him. You don't have to dig him up. He, the word, is very near you. He's here. You don't have to go for him. He's come for you. He is so accessible. It's on the tip of your tongue. It's right there in your heart. Just declare it, he said. Not only is he easily accessible, he is equally accessible. Again, available to anyone, everyone, all. Those words mean what they say. Like this is open for everyone. Like, please hear me say this. No one who wants to be saved has ever been denied. Don't miss this. No one who responds to the gospel in faith has ever been rejected. Those, again, we talked about this. There's this tension in chapter 9. It's all about the sovereignty of God. Well, in chapter 10, it's all about man's responsibility. And we hold these two things, and I'm begging you to keep the tension. Chapter 9 was all about God choosing and God being sovereign. But here in chapter 10, it's going to be all about man's responsibility and our response. So we got this tension. Which is it? Is it God? Is it man? And it's yes. In this text, what we see is we have a responsibility. The responsibility is anyone who believes. We got to believe this stuff will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. He will richly bless all who call on him. That's our responsibility. We got to call on him. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Like we have a responsibility to call on the name of the Lord. And again, we get caught in this tension, but no one can deny the truth of this text. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me end by reminding us of Paul's own faith journey. Okay, We often, if you ever want to know what somebody means by what they say, watch how they live. And they'll, they'll interpret their own words by their own life. So let me remind you of Paul's conversion story. Some of you know it. It's found in Acts chapter 9, but he gives his testimony in Acts chapter 22. He was on the road to Damascus, remember this? And Jesus comes, Paul was off to cart people who were Jesus followers, drag them from their house and to throw them into jail. He was trying to get them into prison to stop following Jesus. And Jesus came to Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Falls to the ground and he looks up and says, who are you, Lord? Jesus said, I'm the one you're persecuting. Now, I want you to go to Damascus and there's a guy there named Ananias and he will tell you what to do. Paul goes to Damascus and this is Paul telling his testimony of his own salvation story. Paul is speaking here. He says, then he, meaning Ananias, 
Then Ananias said to me, Paul says, Ananias said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. This is all the sovereignty of God peace. God has chosen you. He's chosen you to see him, to hear words from his mouth and to be his witnesses. God picked you, Paul. This is the sovereignty of God peace. Next verse. And now, Ananias says to Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away. What does he say? Calling on his name. Ananias looks at Paul and says, you've been chosen. Why are you sitting there? Get up. You have to respond. Get up. Be baptized. Wash your sins away. Call on his name. When Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, we call on his name. The reason he writes in Romans 10, everyone who calls on his name will be saved. The reason he could say that is because that's what he was told. Because that's why, how he came to faith. That's what he was told to do. Get up. Get up. What are you waiting for? Be baptized. Wash your sins away. Call on his name. This is how we do it. And what did Paul do? Got up. He was baptized. And called on the name of the Lord. He says, and everybody who does that will be saved. Oh, I'm going to ask you to do what Ananias told Paul. What are you, if you feel the Holy Spirit is in you, if you believe in your heart that God sent his son to die in your place and for your sins, if you believe he raised him from the dead and he's coming back, then I want you to put that belief, that faith into action today. Declare it with your mouth. Jesus is Lord, not just a Lord. He is my Lord. And I'm going to declare it. I'm going to acknowledge it. And I'm going to live it out every single day through my submission, through my obedience, through my allegiance to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you haven't done that yet, I don't want you to leave here today without putting that faith into words, putting that belief into action. You can do that today. You can meet with our prayer team in the back or our staff. We'd love to help you participate in that today. In fact, right now in this service, we've already got a couple of people who are going to do that. We're going to celebrate that moment with them as they do exactly what Ananias said to do. So we're going to invite a couple of baptisms out right now. It helps if it's on, generally speaking. Guys, thank you so much for sharing in this special moment with us. This is uh, Corey and Jeremiah, uh, father and son. And uh, Jeremiah, man, it's our honor to, to share in a time of baptism. Um, Jeremiah's 13 recently decided that this is a, a decision he wants to, to make for himself. All those tuning out uh, in from PV, we're so glad you're here as well. Corey often is out there every once in a while drumming, so he's on the worship team with us. So glad you're able to also share in this time with us. So Jeremiah, this is uh, really simple. What we're going to do is what we call the the good confession. I'm going to have you repeat after me. Say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the Lord of my life. 
Well, Corey, it's our honor to, to baptize your son in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ronald, Ronald has um, shared with me today that he's got an illness and he's struggling. He knows that his time is short. The reality is none of us know how much time we have. And before he sees his heavenly father, he wants to make sure that this declaration is made, that he wants to acknowledge Jesus as his Lord before people so that Jesus will acknowledge him when he stands before the father. And we are so so blessed to get to see this and to be a part of it today. So, Rhonda, I'm going to ask you to make what we call that good confession. What do you believe about Jesus? Say, I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, Christ, the Son of the living God. Son of the living God. And I declare, him I declare him to be my Lord. Amen. Amen. Because of your confession of faith today, it is my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Praise Jesus. Thank you. Amen. 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 And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.